0: Happy Thanksgiving! You may now uh, play Christmas music, now that it's post-Thanksgiving. <clears throat> well, it's really, uh, it's an honor, and, uh, and it is a privilege, I mean that. Uh, Pastor Matt asked me about a month ago uh, if I would be willing to preach on November 27th, and I was like, oh my goodness, that's, yeah, sure, that's so far away. Um, and uh, just really uh, grateful for for the opportunity to open God's Word uh, together with you this morning and to learn. Um, uh, Before I jump into uh, our passage this morning, uh, Pastor Matt did ask me to give you an update on Compass Care. Uh, So I serve as the the Director of Community Relations at Compass Care Pregnancy Services. Uh, I've been serving there for uh, a little over 12 years now, And as uh, Pastor Mike described, uh, it is a pro-life service organization. So we serve women who are facing unplanned pregnancies uh, and who are planning on or thinking about uh, aborting their children. And uh, Compass Care offers ethical medical care, comprehensive community support, and most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to women as they are making these life and death decisions. Uh, We live in the abortion capital of the U.S., with more abortions per capita here in New York State than any other state in the Union. About 74,000 babies are aborted every single year here in our state. We have the most permissive abortion laws in the world after China and North, Car- uh, North Korea. Excuse me, I was going to say North Carolina. No, that's not case. North Korea. Um, uh, abortion is legal through all nine months of pregnancy here in New York. It is also considered a fundamental human right, according to the Reproductive Health Act that was passed in 2019. Uh, Here in Monroe County, we're an abortion hub, which means that women from all the surrounding counties come to Monroe County to get their abortions. Uh, About 20% of all pregnancies end in abortion here in Monroe County. One out of 5 preborn boys or girls never make it to birth. Uh, We have more abortionists in this county than some states have in their entire state. Uh, and this is, uh, this is the reality. We're the very first state to legalize abortion uh, in 1973, years before Roe v. Wade. And as you know, uh, the Roe v. Wade decision was reversed earlier this summer, and we praise God for the thousands of babies that are alive today because of that righteous decision. Um, the, the most egregious Supreme Court decision in the entire history of, uh, of, of U.S. history, uh, and there's been some doozies, there's some, been some really bad ones in the history of the Supreme Court, Uh, but 65 million babies have been aborted since 1973 in our nation. 65 million pre-born boys and girls, image bearers of God. Now, if you're anything like me, those big numbers can kind of just whoosh by you. You know, it's 65 million. How do you you even handle that? You know, just kind of comprehending the magnitude of that. If we were to give a moment of silence, just one minute of silence for every single preborn boy or girl that was aborted since 1973 in our nation, we would be quiet for 124 years straight. This is the greatest injustice in the history of mankind, and it is God's people, it is the people of God who both recognize the depth and the darkness of this injustice because we recognize the inherent value of every single human being from the womb to the tomb from the moment of conception until natural death. Only Christians have the worldview to recognize the depth of the darkness of the injustice that is abortion and also have the solution, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That transforms hearts, that changes cultures, and that, that, that uh, infuses uh, the inherent value of every single human being into the culture and society in which, uh, in which they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so far this year, in the three physical locations that Compass Care has, uh, Buffalo, Rochester, and Albany, 379 preborn boys and girls have been saved from abortion so far this year. 379 human beings are alive today and either have been born or soon will be born because of God's people, because of the passion of God's people expressed through ministries like Compass Care. We've seen 204 women submit their lives to Christ when presented with the gospel right in the exam room, by her nurse, 204 women have said, yes, I need that, I want that, when invited into relationship with the Lord, have submitted their lives to Christ. That's 30% of all the women who are being invited to a relationship with the Lord are saying, that is, that is what I need, and submit their lives to Christ. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, earlier this summer, I Remember, I gave you an update, I think, in July. Uh, Compass Care's Buffalo office was firebombed, causing catastrophic damage, nearly half a million dollars' worth of damage. Uh, Two firefighters were injured in fighting the blaze. Uh, And this one of over 70 attacks against pro-life service organizations from pro-abortion terrorists. And there's not been a single arrest nationwide in any of these attacks uh, at the local, state, or federal level. Uh, Pro-life service organizations are uh, being attacked both physically with uh, these pro-abortion terrorists, as well as uh, censorship through Google. Uh, Compass Care and other pro-life service organizations are being actively censored by Google right now. We've seen a drop in call volumes because of this censorship. And uh, there, has, there has been a, a significant increase in the pro-abortion politician agenda and, uh, as well as uh, significant opposition happening here in New York State. And that persecution coming from Albany against pro-life services Service organizations is uh, been ratch- is going to continue to be ratcheted up. Now that Kathy Hochul is back as governor, uh, she has started a or has signed uh, a pregnancy center investigation bill, actively going after all uh, agencies that don't provide or refer for abortions, which is pro life service organizations. Um, So this is the reality. This is the mountain that God has placed uh, uh, us right here in New York, the abortion capital of the U.S., and it's not a mistake that he has his people here. It's not a mistake that he's got his pro-life Christians uh, here, and it's not a mistake that you have the most effective pregnancy center in the entire U.S., uh, the best in the nation at reaching and serving women concerning abortion right here in the abortion capital of the U.S. Uh, By the end of this year, Compass Care will have covered the entire uh, state of New York with an online telemedicine platform. Um, So we'll either be serving women in in person through the three physical locations or online with an online telemedicine platform. The entire state of New York will be covered from New York City to Watertown to Binghamton, all the way over to Buffalo as well. Uh, Serving women all across the state who are considering abortion with a telecare platform, as well as training pregnancy centers all across the nation to also implement this telemedicine platform. More and more women... Are going online to buy abortions, chemical abortions, and have them shipped right to their home to do DIY chemical abortions right in their uh, bathroom, and this is uh, what Compass Care is prepared to to, to uh, meet this new uh, new way of accessing and uh, trends in the abortion uh, in the abortion market that's going on. So so grateful uh, for this church and your continued prayers as the opposition increases, um, the courage of of God's people and the and the the principle behind why we're pro-life which is that every single human being is fully and equally human and is therefore worthy of protection and equal protection. Every single one of us, either the preborn child is as fully and equally human as you and I are, or none of us have inherent value and worth. It's all or nothing when it comes to human life, human dignity, and human worth. Uh, so that's a, that's a kind of a not-so-quick update on, uh, on Compass Care I'm grateful for your continued prayers, uh, those of you who, uh, who, are, who are giving, those of you who are praying, those of you who are serving uh, in various capacities as we push back the darkness of abortion. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 100. We're going to be in Psalm 100. We're going to be bopping around in the Psalms quite a bit uh, this morning. But let me, uh, let me read Psalm 100, and then we'll pray. <clears throat> a Psalm for giving thanks. and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning for your word. Lord, that your word uh, does not come back void, but it accomplishes uh, what it is meant to. Lord, I ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit here as we uh, break uh, the bread of your word. And, and, and uh, Lord, that we be, may be convicted uh, in our hearts of ways that... Uh, uh, we have been uh, thankless in the ways that we have not uh, thanked you for all that you have done for us. Lord, I ask that you even now uh, you would stir our hearts and that we would not be thinking about other people or uh, who really needs to be hearing this word, but Lord, that you would convict us, you would, you would show us, you would reveal to us our presumptuous sins, our secret faults, and you would help us to live lives that uh, constantly and consistently glorify you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when Pastor Matt asked me uh, to, to, to preach, and uh, he kind of opened it up. He said, you know, whatever, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, whatever you want to you know, preach on, and I'm like, oh man, you know, you got to give me some direction because you don't know what you're going to get here. This might be a, this is a little dangerous, totally opening it up. Um, and he said, well, you know, it's the week of Thanksgiving. How about a theology of thankfulness? Oh, that's, that's some good direction there. Um, that, that'll be helpful, and that's, you know... That should be a fairly easy topic to preach on, right? Um, I have been absolutely um, surprised, I guess I'll say, by how convicting uh, studying the topic of thankfulness in Scripture and seeing, uh, seeing what Scripture actually talks about, our duty um, for thankfulness and giving of thanks to our God, how convicting it has been for me uh, personally and how, how the Lord has revealed how uh, uh, ingratitude, uh, is, is so much uh, baked into the way that I, that I, that I operate in my, in my daily life. Uh, not giving thanks. You know, uh, I look at some different scriptures like Ephesians 5.20 that we had re- uh, read for us a little earlier that says, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says, uh, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Or how about on, uh, conversely, Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And, uh, you know, those words, always, and all, and everything, uh, those have been uh, cutting me to the quick uh, because I, 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 can, I can do most things without grumbling and complaining. I, I can give you thanks in most things, uh, sometimes, um, but Scripture teaches us in all circumstances and, uh, and do, all things with, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And, and as we look at Scripture, as you study out uh, the, the duty of Christians, um, and not just the duty, but the delight of Christians to be constantly giving thanks. This is our uh, modus operandi. This is our, this is our MO. This is the hallmark of, of being Christians. And it makes sense, right? For those of you who are parents, um, you could tell the difference between a well-brought-up child and an ill-bred child, uh, depending on how they, how they do with those magic words, please and thank you. This is one of the first things. My kid, none of my kids came out of the womb saying thank you uh, for carrying me, mother, for nine months, and then uh, giving birth to me in pain and agony. Um, none of them, incidentally, said that. Um, but this is one of the first things that we teach our children. Thank you. Say thank you. Show gratitude for what you've been given. And uh, this is one of the things that... Um, that, that ought to be uh, a constant refrain for us as believers. For those of us who know Christ, who've been bought and redeemed by the blood of Christ, our attitude is one of thanks. One who believes in the sovereignty of God. C.S. Lewis says this, a gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. How good of God to give me this. You know, as I was trying to think of an analogy of some way of kind of encapsulating this, I thought of sharks. Um, don't ask me why. But I thought of sharks. And uh, for those of sharkologists out there, you can kind of correct me if I get this wrong. But my understanding of sharks is that they have to be in constant motion in order to stay alive. Uh, they have to be constantly moving in order, because their gills don't flap, they got to force the water in through their gills, and they got to be in constant motion. So if you see a shark that stopped, he's probably dead, right? Um, and this is, this is the way that our thanks ought to be, constant thanks, constant movement, constant seeing Uh, what it is that God has brought into our lives and saying, thank you, regardless of what it is. Um, uh, So, and in Psalm 100 here, Psalm 100 is unique, not necessarily in the content. As we read it, you can see uh, some of the things that are said there, you see it in different Psalms, and we'll we'll be uh, looking at those together, but actually in the title itself. The title here is not one that uh, was put in by the the translators. The title here is uh, Baked into the Psalm Itself. Uh, And this is unique in all the 150 psalms for having this title. It's called A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Seems appropriate uh, for us to be in it this morning. Um, And it is really neat to think about the fact that for thousands of years, God's chosen people have been singing this psalm. Have been have been declaring these truths. The Israelites would be singing this as they would enter into the temple or the synagogue. Uh, the medieval church uh, super popular within the medieval church. They would be singing this psalm. Uh, the the Anglican uh, Common Book of Prayer, their um, their psalter. Excuse me. Uh, they they called this the Jubilate, uh, and they, they that was in the 16th century. They would use it. And as, we're, as we go through the psalm this morning, uh, we're just going to be taking a look at some common journalistic questions. Um, uh, usually it's who, what, where, why, and who, what, where, why, when, and how. Thank you. Um, uh, this morning we're going to be looking at what, who, where, and why. So what are we being called to do who are we being called to do it to? Who are, we, who are we to give thanks to? Where are we to give thanks, and why should we give thanks? So we're just going to kind of march through the psalm here together and answer these questions. So what are we being called to do? Look at verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. What are we being called to do? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. I like how the Lexa, uh, Lexham uh, English Bible uh, translates it, shout in triumph to the Lord. Come into his presence with exaltation. I, I love that word, exaltation, exalting in who God is. And this is the chief end of man. For those of you familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know the first question being asked is, what is the chief end of man? And it is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is our telos. This is, our, this is the, the purpose of our lives, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is why you and I are on this planet right now. This is our purpose. This is what we were created for, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is the fundamental duty of man, is to give thanks to our creator, to the one who made us. Uh, the one who gave us life. And the psalmist here tells us to do three things, to shout, to serve, and to sing. To shout. Again, jubilati. Jubilati means uh, to shout to the Lord. Um, It means to, uh, to, to, there's meant to be this exuberance in our praise, um, I, I, we've been studying the life of David, and this makes me think of uh, when David is dancing before the altar of God, as he is as he is uh, coming uh, back in. They're bringing, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant. Excuse me, uh, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back um, after uh, after uh, I think it's in um, chapter six of Second Samuel. Uh, you know, he's dancing before the Ark of the Covenant, and his uh, his wife Michal, sees him dancing, uh, making a spectacle of himself. And uh, she despises him in, his heart, in her heart, right? Um, but there is meant to be an exuberance in our praise. Psalm 66, verse 1 and 2 says, Shout joyfully to, the, to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Set forth his glorious praise. Psalm 95, 1 through 2 says, Come, let us sing for joy to Yahweh. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. With songs, let us shout joyfully to him. Psalm 98, four through six, shout joyfully to Yahweh, all the earth. Be cheerful and sing for joy and sing praises. Tumult and fanfare are right and appropriate before the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's right and appropriate. Uh, And notice that there is a call here in all these Psalms that we just read, but also in Psalm 100, this is a call to all the earth. Now, there's a lot of things that you could say about this. There's a, there's a call to all the earth. He's not making a distinction between just calling to Israel, God's chosen people. He's saying, no, everybody has a duty to give thanks to God. This is a call to all the earth. Um, but it's also, it points to you wanting people to participate in what you delight in. Come, everybody, delight in, praise, worship, give a praise to the God of gods, and the kings, king of kings. You want others to delight in what you delight in. Uh, C.S. Lewis, again, on his uh, reflections on the Psalms said, just as man spontaneously praises whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge others to join in. And we see this, uh, again, with parents. Sorry, I've got little kids, so this is uh, what comes to mind. Uh, with parents with a new baby, right? Uh, delighting in this new child. I can't wait to show off, you know, my newest born. Uh, it, is a, it is a delight. And you say, oh, isn't he so cute? Isn't he so adorable? Come join in and delighting on this new human being that we created together. Uh, and you, duty-bound, say, yes, of course they're adorable. Yes, of course they're cute. Um, or, or, or how about a groom and his bride? You know, uh, this, you know, delight in. Isn't she lovely? Look how beautiful she looks. Um, or, you know, probably uh, the most apropos in our sports-crazy society uh, sports fans. You know, you, you, where else in our society do you have thousands and thousands and thousands of people all dressing alike and all high-fiving and hugging strangers when their favorite sports team uh, scores? Uh, we want others to participate in, uh, together, what we delight in. And uh, this is the call here in this psalm, to uh, make a joyful noise all you, to the Lord all the earth. Everybody. Everybody needs to join in. Everybody ought to join in. Do you see how wonderful our God is? Uh, Do what you ought to be doing, everybody. The truth, goodness, and beauty of God calls us to acknowledge him. And then we're to serve. You know, this naturally springs from thanking God, to serve him with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. You know, thank you, God. How can I serve you? It just flows one from the other. When we're thankful to the Lord, we want to do, <laughs> we want to do something for Him. We want to serve Him, and uh, I love this just this word: serve Him with gladness. Uh, there is a uh, kind of form of Christianity that just says duty, 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 and uh, we we kind of are we've got this kind of morose martyrdom about serving the Lord. Uh, this you know, and and, and God is not a, impressed by our sad service to Him. Um, and, and this is, in some ways, we see, you know, the fact that our righteousness to him are as filthy rags. Um, he's not impressed by our sacrifices that are done uh, with uh, reticence or that are done with just this morose martyrdom, as I mentioned. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I exhort, exhort you, brothers. Yeah. That's my wife's, don't worry. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, through the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. This is your reasonable service. Our service to God is meant to be with joy on our lips and a song in our heart. This is, this is the kind of service that, that God delights in. Uh, serve the Lord with gladness, uh, with joy on our lips and a song in our heart. And we're to sing. Christians sing. You ever notice this before? Christians sing. We sing songs of victory, of triumph. We sing songs of heartache. We sing songs of truth. Um, we exalt in him, uh, and we're meant to, in our songs, repeat the mighty works of God. You know, you think about uh, the Israelites singing after being rescued across the Red Sea, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea, uh, meant to be exalting in what God has done for us and what we exalt in as, as believers, having been uh, sanctified, having been saved and delivered out of our sin and death, uh, we exalt and rightfully exalt in the victory that God has given us, in the new birth that he's given us. Singing is meant to be a part of our daily lives. It's meant to be a part of our gathering together as the people of God. Uh, and dare I say it, our singing together is as important as the sermon. Our singing together is meant to be an encouragement. And Actually, our worship together is warfare. You're actually doing something. You're actually combating the spiritual forces that are around us in your singing together, in our gathering together. It's not just us coming and singing some nice songs together. We're reminding our souls of truths, and we're encouraging each other with our songs. And we get to do now. We get to do right now what we get to do for all eternity. We get to experience right now in the Sunday morning service what we're going to be doing for all eternity together. Shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters. Do you know that every single knee is going to bow and every single tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Every single one. Every single one. We look out into this world and we look at the most hard-hearted pagan and we say every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess. And what we have the privilege of being able to do right now is we get, to, we get to bow our knee right now. We get to confess with our tongue right now. We get to live out eternity right now and get a, a taste of it. What we're getting is a taste of what we're going to experience for the rest of our lives. The presence of God gathering together and singing uh, and praising God. So we're to shout, we're to serve, we're to sing uh, I'll, I'll close this section with a, with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Do you think, O Christian, that you can me- measure the love of Christ? Think of what his love has brought you. Justification, adoption, sanctification, eternal life. The riches of his goodness are unsearchable. O oh, the breadth of the love of Christ! Shall such a love as this have half our hearts? Shall Jesus' marvelous loving kindness and tender care meet with but faint response and tardy acknowledgement? O oh, my soul, tune your heart to a glad song of thanksgiving. Go through the day rejoicing, for you are no desolate wanderer, but a beloved child, watched over, cared for, and defended by the Lord. That's Charles Spurgeon for you. So shout, serve, sing. This is the proper response because of who... We are being called to give thanks to. Look at verse three. Know that the Lord He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are the people. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Know that the Lord. Know that the Lord. He is God. Do you know Him? Do you know this Lord that the psalmist writes about here? You know, part of recalibrating our gratitude to God is to check how we feel about God with what we know about God based on the Word of God. If you want to recalibrate your gratitude to God, check how you feel about God with what we know about God based on the Word of God. Do you know him? The Apostle Paul says that the deepest root of human dysfunction is, quote, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks. Romans 121. There are two great sins that mark the unbeliever. There are two great markers of somebody who doesn't actually believe God and that is they don't honor him as God and they don't render him thanks that he's due. Ingratitude is a mark of rebellion. Man, when I saw that, I was, was, Lord, forgive me. Ingratitude is a mark of rebellion. Yeah. Is this you? Do you honor God as God? And do you render thanks, the thanks that is due him? Do you know him? Do you know him? What we know about God drives our rightful worship of this king that we say we serve. What we know about him Tim Chester uh, describes what he calls the four G's of God, and I like this because I really appreciate alliteration, but, you know, God is great, God is good, God is gracious, God is glorious, and so, and we so often, you and I, so often fail to give thanks because we forget his greatness, we forget his goodness, we forget his graciousness, we forget his gloriousness. I want to just flip over to Psalm 111 to remind us of this great God that we serve. Just to remind us, Psalm 111, 1 through 10. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, who's studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Amos 4.13. You don't have to flip there. I'll just read it. Amos 4.13. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. And I want to actually give you a reading assignment. We don't have time this morning to read through this, but I, I do want, you to, I want to give you a reading assignment if you're, if you're willing to take it. If you're not, don't tell me. Just uh, let, me, let me live in ignorant bliss here. Uh, I want you to take a look at Job chapter 38 through 41. It's chapter 38 through 41, where, where, jo, where, where the Lord responds to Job with these series of rhetorical questions. And just read through those or have them read to you or listen to them and just ponder the great and awesomeness of our God. How great, how good, how glorious, how gracious this God is. I mean, he, he just goes through it, and it is just, you, you just think, wow, I am small, and he is big. <laughs> uh, Job 38 through 41. This is who we are. And uh, right here in verse 3, we see that he is the maker, and he is the shepherd. He's our potter and he's our pastor. He's the maker and he's the shepherd. I, I love this because the maker tells us who owns us. We belong to him. He owns us. And the shepherd tells us that he cares for us, that he, that he cares for us, that he, that he cares about you and he delights in your sheepness. He doesn't look at you with this kind of crossed arm sternness saying, there's my sheep doing the wrong thing again. Oh, well, This is the shepherd. He made us. We belong to him. He formed us. And he's our shepherd. He cares for us. Where are we to give thanks? Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. For the Jews, this meant the temple. For us today this means joining together with the family of God but I want to, I want to extrapolate from this and also it points to the future points to the forever come into his presence we're going to be coming into his presence and it begs the question how are you going to get in how are you going to get in how are you going to enter through his gates how are you going to enter into his courts Revelation 21:27, speaking of the city of God, says, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. And I'm gonna, I don't know all of you intimately, but I'm a hazard to guess that that applies to every single one of us in this room. How are you going to get in? Nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a list. There's a list. How are you going to get in? You know, if you wanted to get into Buckingham Palace to see the queen or the king now, actually, if you wanted to get into Buckingham Palace, you actually can't even get to the door because there's a big old gate there in the way. And if you were to knock on that gate or maybe get yourself to the door and knock on the door and somebody opened it up and said, hey, I'd like to come in and see the king. Who are you? (laughs) What are you doing here? How'd you get past the gate? Well, I'm, you know, I'm Daniel Tomlinson. And I'm, a, I'm from Rochester, New York, uh, wife of Anna, f- a father of four kids, you know. Can, can I get in? What? No, <laughs> you can't get in to see the king. Uh, do you have an invite? Well, no, I don't have an invite. You have a name on some list somewhere that I can check? No. How are you going to get in? Or to change the analogy, you want to go into the Pentagon. <clears throat> you want to enter through the doors of the Pentagon. You don't have the clearance. And even those who can get in through the doors of the, of the Pentagon, there's certain doors they can't walk through. They gotta have a certain badge, they have a certain security clearance, and you kinda work your way up and get certain depths of security clearance in order to get into the Pentagon. You don't have access to the dark recesses of the Pentagon. How are you gonna get in? <clears throat> How do you enter in to his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? How are you gonna get into the gates? How do you get your name on that list? They're checking names. How are you going to get in? Are you relying on your goodness? Are you relying on your influence or your affluence? How about your lineage? That's how the Jews got in through the gates and entered the courts, their lineage. How about your theological astuteness or your minimal carbon footprint or your philanthropic generosity? None of these are going to give you the credentials that you need. They don't give you the clearance, they don't give you the access, you don't have the pass. There's only one way to get in to his courts, to enter the gates. You get invited, and you get invited by a royal person, by the king himself. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. He has the clearance, he has the access, and he's given it to you and I. He's given you and I the access. He's given you and I the security clearance. He's, he's taken the influence that he has, and he's put it on you. He's given the access that he has, and he's given it to you through his blood, through his perfect record, through his perfect lineage. And now um, we have the access. We have the credentials. We now have the lineage, actually. We've been reborn into the family of God, <clears throat> and he's put your name on the list. If you believe that, your name's on that list and it doesn't get taken off. And we're going to spend all eternity in his court singing and giving thanks to the one who is worthy. All right, so let's, let's get to why. Why should we give thanks? This is the most common question in my house is why. My two-year-old asked me about 73,000 times a day, why, Dad, why? Why should we give thanks? Verse five, for the Lord is good. Full stop. Well, actually... It's a semicolon in my Bible, but for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Why should we give thanks? The Lord is good. This is honestly, this is where it gets hard. This is where if I were preaching or if I were writing this Bible, I would hedge a little bit here. I, I, would, I, would, I would put some caveats here uh, that, that, that would make things a little bit more palatable. For those of you who are going through hard things, for those of you who are dealing with disease or death of a loved one or uh, you know, estranged siblings or children, um, whatever the case may be, health issues of yourself or, 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 or even sin, the sin of other people against you or your own sin that you're battling. This is where I would uh, maybe hedge a little bit because this is where it gets hard. This is where the faith comes in. The Lord is good. Do you believe that? This is why Thanksgiving, this gets to our transformational truth. This is why Thanksgiving, our giving of thanks must not primarily be an outflow of our experience, but an expression of our faith. This is key for us to get. We have to get this. Our giving of thanks cannot primarily be an expression of our experiences or our emotions. It has to be an outflow of our faith, an expression of our faith. We're built on knowing that the Lord, he is God, and believing God is who he says he is. It flows from knowing and believing that God, he is. He made us, he knows us, and he is good. The reason we don't give thanks to God as we should is because we have a small view of God, which we talked about earlier. We forget that he is good, that he is great, that he is glorious, that he is gracious. Or we disbelieve. This is what it comes down to. We disbelieve. We, dis, we don't believe that he's actually good. Not in all circumstances. You know, maybe when there's pleasant things coming our way. Maybe when our health is where we want it to be. Maybe when it's our children are behaving the way we want them to. When we know that our, that our boss or our job situation, there's a certain amount of finances in the bank. This, this, is, this is when he's good. But when we're feeling destitute, when we're bankrupt <laughs> emotionally or financially, God is good. He is good. And he's not one good among many other goods. No, he is the very standard by which we measure all goodness. He is the standard by which everything is measured. And it is one of the remarkable things about the life of David, as we've been studying the life of David, one of the remarkable things about the life of David is that he operated under the assumption that God is good in all circumstances. I just want to run through, I don't have time to, to go through all of these, um, but I just want to run through a few examples. You know, in First Samuel 19, when Saul sends men to David's house to kill him and he's led out through his window by his wife, um, Michal, <clears throat> he writes Psalm 59 during that time where he's running for his life. And he's singing of the steadfast love of the Lord. He's singing about how God is his strength and his fortress, in First uh, Samuel 21, when he has to act like a crazy man in order to escape the king of Gath, uh, he writes Psalm 34, and he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. In Psalm, uh, in, excuse me, in First Samuel 21, after acting crazy, he goes to live in a cave. He goes to live in a cave, a cave, you know, a dark cave, a wet cave. Potentially, I guess it could be a dry cave. And he writes Psalm 56, and he says, In God I trust. What can man do to me? I don't know if, about you, but if I'm on the, run, on the run for my life, if I'm living out of caves, if I'm having to act like an insane person in order to you know, kind of safeguard uh, uh, myself from, from, a, from a foreign king whose giant I slew, I don't know if those are the words that come to my, to my mind. When Doag reports to Saul that David went to Ahimelech and Saul proceeds to butcher Ahimelech in First uh, Samuel 22, He writes, David writes Psalm 52, and in it, he says, I will trust you forever. I will thank you forever. And just one last one here. When he's on the run from Absalom, his son, when he's on the run from Absalom in the wilderness, he writes Psalm 63, and he says, I will bless you as long as I live. This is one of the remarkable things about David, one of the things that is so striking about him. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with uh, the book, The Hiding Place, I want to share maybe a little more recent of an example. Thanking God in all circumstances, saying that God is good no matter what is going on. Uh, Corey Ten Boom and Betsy, her sister, were arrested by the Nazis and put into a concentration camp because of their hiding of Jews over several years. And they finally get caught. And there's this little excerpt from that book, and I, I really encourage you to read this book. It is incredibly convicting. And just a wonderful story of God's faithfulness. Um, but this, 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 this studying this topic reminded me of this uh, section of the book. So they're moved from one dormitory to another dormitory, which is absolutely crowded and filthy. And I just want to read this little excerpt of, the, of it. So we lay back, this being Corey and Betsy, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above me. Something had pinched my leg fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. And here, another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly that it took me a second to realize she was praying. More and more, the the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer before we asked, as he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. We were, we were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving Sheveningen In the feeble light, I turned to the page. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good one to another and to all. Go on, said Betsy. That, that wasn't all. Oh, yes. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, fouled air room. Such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lap. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all these women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the crowding here. Since we're packed so close together that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas and for, whoa, whoa, the fleas? This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has placed us. And so we stood between two tiers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. Back at the barracks, we formed yet another line. Would there ever be an end to the columns and waits? To receive our ladle of turnip soup in the center room, then as quickly as we could for the press of people, Betsy and I made our way to the rear of the dormitory room where we held our worship service. Around our platform area, there was not enough light to read the Bible, but back here, a small light, a small light bulb cast a wan yellow circle on the wall. And here, an ever large, larger group of women gathered. At first, Betsy and I called these meetings with great timidity, but as night after night went by and no guard ever came near us, we grew bolder. <clears throat> Previously, we were under rigid surveillance, guards in their warm wool capes marching constantly up and down. It was, in the, same, it was, it was the same in the center room of the barracks, half a dozen guards or camp police always present. Yet in this larger dormitory room, there was almost no supervision, and we didn't understand it. Uh, one evening, I got back from gathering wood, and Betsy was all, her, all excited. Her eyes were twinkling. You look extraordinarily well pleased with yourself, I told her. You know we've never understood why we have so much freedom. In this big room, she said, well, I found out. This afternoon, there'd been some confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they'd asked the supervisor to come in and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice because of the fleas. That's what she said. The place is crawling with fleas. I'm not coming in. And uh, my mind rushed. Betsy, or Corey writes uh, to end here. My mind rushed back to our first hour in this place, and I remembered Betsy's bowed head. Remembered her thanks to God for the creatures I could see no use for. <clears throat> the Lord is good. <clears throat> our decoration is based not on our circumstances, but on God's character. It has to be, because our circumstances change. And it looks irrational to an unbelieving world. It does. It looks irrational to an unbelieving world. His steadfast love endures. His faithfulness is to all generations. We give thanks by faith, because, uh, not because we know what the future holds, but because of who holds the future. His faithfulness is from generation to generation. It did not run out, it has not run out for this generation, it did not run out with our grandparents his faithfulness is to all generations. As we read in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, we acknowledge that we live in an evil day. Can I get an amen? We live in an evil day. We do. We see rampant addiction, abuse, abortion, uh, sexual perversion being, being promoted as normal, uh, rapid f- uh, family disintegration, societal decline moral compromise, widespread greed, and on and on and on. We could make the list. There are more than enough things to fill a 24-7-hour news cycle about all the things that are wrong with our nation, and they're getting most of them wrong or forgetting a whole bunch of them. It's the reality. This 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 is an evil day. And as we saw in Ephesians 5, Paul acknowledges that it's an evil day. And what does he say? He's saying, don't be drunk with wine. Don't try to escape from this evil day, Christian. Don't try to drown it in some sort of substance. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and give thanks. Give thanks in the evil day. Be sober-minded and give thanks. Our giving thanks in the midst of adversity, in the midst of evil circumstances, in the midst of an evil day is not some kind of perverse masochism. It's not an exercise in naivet, but a growing in godly wisdom. Carnal wisdom opts for either upbeat optimism, acting like everything is just fine and dandy, or it sees the mess and says there's no way this can be fixed. And for the Christian, we don't do either. Because to say this is a mess that can't be fixed is to ignore the triumphal power of the gospel. True faith sees the world for what it is and what God has declared it will be. One of the reasons that I'm so passionately pro-life is because the future is pro-life. The future is pro-life. One day, there will be no more abortion. One day, we will no longer look at little innocent human beings in the womb and say we can dispose of them as we will if they're in it too big of a burden or too big of an inconvenience. The future is pro-life. The author of life who's given uh, life. You know, and faithful Christians, we have this clear-eyed, cheerful courage based on the unshakable character of God. It does not minimize our pain or the problems we see, but it maximizes our sovereign king. We know how this all ends, so we embrace the process. We recognize the chapter of the story we are in, so we lean in, for the author of our faith is up to something, and he's up to something good. Second, Second Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we know that Jesus, that for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. The one who tells us to, to give thanks, he knows the beginning from the end of all of our stories. And he knows everything in between. He is the Alpha and Omega, after all. So in this evil day, we will not despair. We will give thanks. Because do you know my God? Do you know what he can do? Do you know that we don't live in a closed system? We live with a God who intervenes in human history. He has intervened. He is intervening. And he will continue to do it. Our Father knows us. He loves us. He will not remove himself from us. He will not withhold from us any good thing. He does not make his children cry needless tears. You will cry tears. But with our sovereign king, they will not be needless tears. His faithfulness extends to all generations. He has not run out of faithfulness in this generation. He has not run out of faithfulness for my children's or for my grandkids or my great-grandkids. His faithfulness is through all the generations. We can look back at a certain period of time in American history and we can say, oh, God was faithful then but he's apparently not so faithful now because of all we see going on around us. Or he was faithful (laughs) the first decade that I was a Christian, but man, the second decade of being a Christian, I don't know about his faithfulness. The heavenly potter is not going to abandon his clay. He's not going to crush us and dump us. He's not going to throw us away. He's up to something good. He didn't make you. He didn't save you. He didn't redeem you to get rid of you. So on that basis, we can sing shouts of joy. On that basis, we give thanks for all things, in all things. Because we cannot wait to see how he proves himself faithful yet again in this generation. And we fight like Christians, and we rejoice like Christians, not with a shrill how-dare-you voice to an unbelieving culture, but with thankful hearts that burst forth with song, saying, you don't know what you're missing. Do you know this God that we serve? And we declare that, you know, big pharma may poison me, big tech may censor me, big government may oppress me, big eva may be betray me, big Ed may brainwash me, big media may lie to me, but I have a big God who prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. In this evil day, thanksgiving is not what we fight for, but what we fight with. We defeat the lies of the enemy with shouts of joy. We defeat the pull of the flesh with glad songs of thanksgiving. We defeat the world's coercion and pressure to conform with grateful cries of a transformed heart that declares by God's grace that the Lord is good, that the Lord is God, that he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever in this generation. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge we acknowledge our lack of faith. We acknowledge our ingratitude, and that in and of itself is a mercy and a sign of your presence in our lives. Your word says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and it gives us just one more reason to give you thanks, one more reason to say you are good, Because you convict our hearts of where we've gone wrong and you give us the grace and the strength to live differently and to turn away from ingratitude, to turn away from complaining and griping and to actually see, see what you're up to. So I ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes of faith. You would help us to praise your name and to give you thanks based off of not how we're feeling emotionally emotionally not how uh, the different circumstances and the different experiences that we're facing in our daily life, but because of the fact that you are good. You are our God. You are our King. And so we shout and we sing and we praise your name, Lord, because you are good. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.